I thank you. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. We're going to open up in prayer. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Today the title that I have for you this morning is Unity in the Faith. Unity in the Faith. And this is a an extremely important topic as it relates to our individual lives as well as our corporate, especially our corporate lives, our fellowship, our intimacy has to be up to par according to the Word of God in order for God to fulfill His purposes in our lives. This message is intended, of course, to encourage us to consider the will of the Lord as it relates to our fellowship as in the intimacy of our community. I think that's extremely important. And in fact, I want you to also think about the term compatibility because that word actually fits. God's people are supposed to love one another. God's people are supposed to be united. There is a unity the Lord expects us to possess as His children. And in addition, of course, when we think about God's unity, we, we also have to think about the wonderful things that God can in fact accomplish in and through us in our fellowship when we are united together. There's absolutely no telling what God can do in our lives. Amen, somebody? Amen. I think, I think it's extremely important to make that note because God is looking to enhance His kingdom. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's certainly not about this church. It's about what God is looking to uh, uh, advance, how He's looking to advance His kingdom here on earth. Acts chapter 5. You there? Say amen. Amen. Look with me. I'm going to read a lot of verses here today. Amen. I'm going to read 16 verses, starting with verse 1. It reads, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And a great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young man rose up and wrapped them and carried them out and buried them. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. A great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico, or Solomon's porch. None of the rest there joined them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. 
so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. I want you to bow your heads with me and let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for your text, for this text, for your word. We thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord God, that you've given to us to gather just like this. You say in your word, Lord God, that when there are two or three gathered together in your name, there you are in the midst. We thank you, Lord God, for your presence in this room, in this space, in this breezeway. We thank you for your presence in our hearts and in our lives. We thank you so much for what you're doing. There's a whole lot that is happening in society today, Lord God, and most of which we are unclear how you are leading and guiding, how you are directing, how you are fulfilling or advancing your purposes, how you are enhancing your kingdom. But we are here today, this morning, because we want to, to learn from you. We want to hear from you. We want to know, Lord God. We want you to shape our hearts and we want you to shape our perspectives. We want to do exactly as you would have us to do. Live the way you would have us to live. Think and say the things that you would have us to say. And certainly treat one another in the way that you would demand, the way you demand for us to treat and to love one another. We pray your blessings on this time and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name and God's people say. Amen. God's people say. Amen. One more time, God's people say. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. First and foremost, I wanna I wanna kind of dispel the notion that somehow somebody in this room may have the thought that this message is going to be about them. <laughs> that, that's just not the case at all. This, this message is about unity. Yes, we understand that certain individuals, a particular couple in this passage, in this text, they end up dying, but that's not what the message is about. It's about unity. I, I assure you, I assure you. So rest assured, what we know from passages like this one is that it, it took place early during the establishment of, uh, of the church. Amen, somebody. Amen. Early during the establishment of the church, and God was looking to establish a wonderful thing. God was looking to extraordinarily manifest himself upon the lives of mankind. He wanted to make a difference in our lives. And I want to make a quick contrast here so that we can see and at least have a certain understanding as it relates to this passage and other particular passages in the New Testament where God was looking to do the same thing. How many know that from the beginning of time, God has been looking... This is not a New Testament thing. I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm going to refer to this a little bit later. But it's not a new thing that God has been looking to, to manifest or to reveal himself to mankind. God loves us. God created us. And he has always been looking out for our best interest. Unfortunately, we are not as sensitive as we ought to be to the thing that pertains to God. Now I want you to look at verses 12 and 13 in your text this morning. Remember, I want to make a contrast. And we're going to go to a different New Testament passage. A contrast. 
Verses 12 and 13 speak of unity. And it's not just a unity between believers, but there was a, a unity that existed there in that particular space, in that particular time. The apostles were preaching, believers were unified, but the people who were recipients of the gospel, the message of, of Jesus Christ, they were, they were holding the apostles in high esteem. Look at it with me. Verse 12. It says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together. Right there. Stop right there. Look at me. What did it just say? All together. It says they were all together. Look at your text. <clears throat> In Solomon's portico. Verse 13. None of the rest dare join them. But the people held them in high esteem. None of the rest there to join us. So, we, so I, as I understand it, I could be wrong, right? As I understand it, there were believers surrounding the apostles as the apostles were engaged in ministry. There were many signs and wonders taking place. And the people whose hearts were changed and transformed were, were, were bold enough to draw close and near to the men and women of God who were ministering. Is that fair to say? But the rest who saw these, these probably Ananias and Sapphira died. Listen, they, they won. Listen, I, I, I respect you. I love you. I know that you are children of God, but I'm going to just hang out right here. Is that okay? I'm going to just hang out right here. But they held the apostles in high, in high esteem, and that's important because the text is talking about unity. Consider the result of this unity. I want you to look at verse 14 really quickly. I got a lot to say in a short period of time. Verse 14, it says, And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Amen. Did you get that? Yeah. And if you got to make a note, if you got to highlight, if you got to tear the page out and tack it on your forehead, you got to do what you have to do in order to adequately understand that when God's people are united, wonderful things begin to happen. Amen, somebody. Yeah. Wonderful things begin to happen. Now, it's not in my notes, but I'm addressing it anyway. I remember a time when Jesus Christ talked about this particular thing. He was accused of casting out demons by fields of us, right? I probably slaughtered that name, but you understand, right? And, and, and Jesus said, a kingdom divided against itself will not or cannot stand. And he was trying to get them to understand that he was the Messiah, that he was the Christ, that he was the one they had been waiting for, and he was trying to corral them as a hen does its chicks, etc., etc., but they rejected him, believing that he was the son of the devil, and how wrong they were. Again, the point is that when God's people unite, powerful things begin to happen. Amen, somebody. Now, I want you to go to Matthew 11 because I want you to see this particular contrast. Matthew 11, say amen when you find it. Matthew 11. Let me set aside for a little bit. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Matthew 11. Everybody got it? Amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen. Matthew 11. Look at verse 23 with me. Verse 23. It says, And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No. You will be brought down to Hades. 
But if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom or Saddam, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it would be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Saddam or Sodom than for you. Now we're talking about here, we're trying to make a contrast between those who were united in the book of Acts and those in this particular passage who were not united to receive the gospel. They weren't sensitive. They were rejecting Jesus. They didn't want to hear the message of the cross from the Lord Jesus Christ. They, didn't, they, they just didn't want to hear. And as a result, Jesus Christ essentially wiped the dust off his hands and his feet and he moved along. And consider the fact that Capernaum was essentially his headquarters. Very little of God's power was manifested in Capernaum because of the incredulity, the, the unbelief of the people in that particular land. Let's, let's move along. In our Acts passage, I want you to go back there. In our Acts passage, we learn today that they held the apostles in high esteem, which in turn allowed them to experience the Lord in a mighty way, but not so for Capernaum. They rejected the message, and the unity the Lord was looking to establish with them. Now, point number one, if you're writing down, if you're taking down any notes, is the kingdom of God is at hand. I told you once before that I'm not ever going to make the attempt while I'm standing behind the podium or pulpit, however you want to refer to it as, and reinvent the wheel. I'm just not going to do that. The word can in fact speak for itself. I never aim to say something you've never heard before. The Bible talks a lot about the kingdom of God, the establishment of the kingdom of God. Do you remember the New, the New Testament proclamation by Jesus Christ? He said, or rather in the, in the book of Matthew, I think I got it. I made a mistake, I don't have the reference. It says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And when I began to read that for the very first time, I understood that although in the Old Testament God was always looking to save mankind, God was always looking to reach our hearts and our lives and to make a difference, right? Amen, somebody. God has always, this is not a new thing. It's not a New Testament thing. God has always been attempting to do so. But when I began to read this in the New Testament, I realized that God was ramping up His grace. He was ramping up His grace. And that the plan from heaven was to cast out a wide net in an effort or an attempt to save as many souls as possible. That's what God has been doing since the very beginning. Looking to save our souls. And in our text today, it's quite obvious that the Holy Spirit was moving to propel the church forward. Moving to propel the church in a particular direction. And as such, many men and women were chosen and activated to ministry and extraordinary things began to take place. I think about people like, like, like Peter because essentially, eventually, he was raised up by the Holy Spirit himself. And wonderful things began to happen. And then just a few chapters later, from chapter 5, chapter 9, chapter 10, and so on and so forth, we find, we discover a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. And the Holy Spirit, God himself, had a particular plan for this man. And I believe it's because of his ministry that you and I are here today in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody? God has always been looking to do a wonderful thing. Look at verse 2. 
or rather the latter half of verse 2. And it's important to make this particular point as we talk about the kingdom of God because finances are necessary in the kingdom. So it talks about money in this particular passage. It says concerning the finances needed for ministry, the text reads, quote, laid it at the apostles' feet. In other words, money was laid or placed at the feet of the apostles. There was a reason why it was happening the way that it happens. I've come across men and women of God from time to time in the recent past who would take a passage like this and say, Aha! There it is. Jesus was a socialist. Or Jesus was a communist. There it is. The, risk, the redistribution of wealth. That is not what is happening here. In fact, I'm going to charge Pastor Roy with a message. It's his job to unpack this one day, whether it's in a Sunday sermon or a Wednesday Bible study, but that's his task. Amen, church. Amen. 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 There you go, Roy. You got it? All right. Jesus is a title. Jesus was not a socialist. Amen. Amen. But of course, we're talking about this movement that the Holy Spirit was leading. We think, it, we think in, terms of, in terms of guys like Peter, but Peter was not alone. Although we do know that he was, that he was through, that the Lord was using him mightily during his time. The text reads, look at the text again, because it actually reveals to us that even his shadow, that even his shadow, I believe his first son, somebody help me, Verse 15, read 15 with me. So that, they, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Wow. I think that's extremely extraordinary. The point is that, that the God had established his kingdom here on earth in order to draw the masses to him. As it relates to the message, because we're talking about the unity of the faith, we like to think from time to time in the context of community. This right here is a community of believers made up of unperfect, imperfect people. Anybody, anybody perfect in here this morning? Was that, was that, no? No, no? Okay, that's my, my bad thing, right? So anybody perfect? How about you, brother? No? We're not perfect, yet God has, has called us to community. He has called us to fellowship just like this, in spite of the weaknesses that we put on display more often than not. I know I've given some of you a whole lot of grief. Vice versa. Right? It, it, it goes both ways. But it does not mean that we ought not to fellowship with one another because we are made up of thoughts and mistakes and inconsistencies. This church is in the midst of transition. But it does not mean that, that, that we should scatter as a result of it. God has called us to community, and it is extremely, extremely significant. God's people must be unified, which of course brings us to my next point. I got some more material there, but I'm thinking about time. Point number two, the fellowship of the brethren. The fellowship of the brethren. Put that down on your notes. And I say that because I believe that embedded in this text 
is the theme of unity, as I stated already. The Holy Spirit was moving the church in one... Oh, man, that was, that was weak. That was weak. You said it in your heart. I know it. The Holy Spirit was moving the church in one... In one accord. In one accord. That is why the situation involving Ananias and his wife was so severe. They were threatening this particular unity that we're talking about. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. Because one day a confrontation, a violent confrontation took place. Verse 3 says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Can you imagine what would have become of the early church if the Holy Spirit had decided to ignore that particular situation in the midst of trying to gather and establish and then propel the church forward to the point where we could come to the faith as well? How many untold millions have come to faith in Jesus Christ? Tens of millions. Hundreds of minutes since this particular setting, since this particular context, because these men and women were faithful to God, though not completely. But there was a reason why the Holy Spirit did the way that He did what He did. The objective was to stay united, to press forward together. But Ananias and Sapphira, they were jeopardizing the mission of the gospel, jeopardizing the mission of the kingdom of God on earth. And evil had entered their hearts and they lied to God. That's what the Bible says, they lied to God. They lied to the Holy Spirit. They lied to God. So the Bible says a lot about unity or the fellowship that we are to engage in as brothers and sisters in the faith. In fact, and I want you to hear this clearly because this is absolutely powerful, at least to me. Although it may not necessarily make sense to some of us here this morning. The Bible talks about unity, the fellowship of the believers. And it teaches me that I am to consider my relation, my relation to you as greater in importance than what I have with my biological family. And I'm going to pause and let that sink in. Let me say that again. Okay. The Bible teaches me that I have to consider my relation to you as greater in importance than what I have with my biological family. If you listen to that with a natural mind, you're not going to get it. You're just not going to get it. It's going to go right over your head. Because naturally speaking, we regard our biological families, our children, our parents and uncles and aunts, we regard them as special. Somebody once said blood is thicker than water. Yeah, blood is thicker than water, but that's a limited perspective. Because the greater family that exists on the planet is not a biological family. It's a spiritual family of God. And that's a fact. Amen. Let me see your hand if you agree with that. I know that may have, I, I know. It's tough, but it's true. I love my wife. But I love my brothers and my sisters just the same. I love my family in the Lord. I know they're listening back. Mom, I'm sorry. But I love my, my, my spiritual family more than my biological family. 
That's just where my heart is. Because that's what the Bible teaches me. And if I'm wrong, somebody correct me a little bit later. And that's why the Bible says, I, I want to read a verse to you. You don't have to go there. Remember, you remember when Jesus Christ was, was performing the miracle? I think it was the, in, in Canada, the wedding feast. I, I could be wrong. And he was interrupted by someone. And they were informing him of the presence of his mom, his brother, and brothers, and perhaps sisters, etc. Yet your family is outside. And Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 50, he says, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. He exalted his spiritual brethren over his biological family. It is biblical. So what does that say about our unity? Oh, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. Roy, Roy, that's, that's the sermon series. I'm working on that for you already. There's, there's just so much here. There's so much here. Listen to this. With regard to the statements I just finished making, Jesus changed the standard of relationships. He changed it. We are to regard one another as more important than even our biological family. It doesn't mean dismiss biological family. It doesn't mean love them any less. Don't misinterpret anything that I'm saying here. It just simply means that we ought to be important to one another. Psalms 133 verse 1, talking about unity, says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. 1 Corinthians 12.20 1 Corinthians 12.20 reads, When talking about the body, Paul says, There are many members, but one body. We do not live on our own personal or individual islands. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord. We are family. There's one body. There's one faith. There's only one Lord. There's only one gospel. There's only one spirit. And if you're a child of God, you have to love me. You have no choice. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Hebrews, Hebrews, Hebrews 10.25, excuse me, excuse me. Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. God has called us to community. Yeah. And lastly, Ron's favorite, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. I'm going to read them, Ron. I'm going to read them. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, or of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Wow, it says in love. You need to, to highlight that one. Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, dot, 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 dot. We are a family, and we're supposed to love one another. The fellowship of the brethren. Point number three, got to move along. Speaking the same language. Speaking the same language. Language has always been the principal means of communication. It doesn't matter what atheists in our academic institutions 
have attempted to say in terms of the moaning and groaning of cavemen, it's not true. It's a lie. Human beings, mankind, has always communicated intelligently. Amen, somebody. Amen. This, this idea, this idea of evolution. You, you saw it. That's my defense mechanism. That's I'm ready, Ron. I'm ready. We have always communicated intelligently. And so God, when, it, when, we, when we think in terms of the community, the family, the kingdom of God, we are supposed to learn how to communicate well with one another. This is the standard that God has established in His Word. We have to speak the same language. We have to be of one mind and in one accord. And I'm going to show you this. I want you to look at, um, look at verse 2 once again. It says that with his wife, with his wife's knowledge, he's talking about Ananias, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds. Now look at verse 3. Peter confronts him and listens for the reference to language. Quote, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? Right there. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie? There was a language. There was a dialogue. There was communication taking place right here in this text, as is the case in any other passage, as is, as is the case in our lives. Right here, there's a monologue. You are listening to me speak to you, but I'm communicating, at least I'm attempting to communicate intelligently and soundly. But in this text, they will say communication that had taken place between Ananias and his wife Sapphira. And they agreed together to withhold some information from the apostles as well as from the community of believers during that time. It was in their power to keep their money, to reveal the amount they sold their homes for, their, 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 their possessions. It was in their power. It, was, it belonged to them. But instead, because of the evil in their hearts, because they were listening to a voice that was contrary to that of the Lord's, a voice that wasn't the voice of the Holy Spirit. And they contrived this idea to deceive. And ultimately, they were indicted by the Holy Spirit Himself. You have not lied to man, but you have lied to God. And they died in that particular spot. And the Holy Spirit uses Peter to confront them, one by one. And the indictment was handed down. And so was the condemnation. And they died right there in that spot. Peter said to her, Tell me. This is verse 89. Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together? You have agreed together. Right there, this language. How is it that you have agreed together? Amos 3.3 says, Can two walk together without being in agreement? If two people decide to walk down the street holding hands, holding hands, they must be in agreement in order to do so. If you make a decision in the morning to come to church, to come to this particular congregation, you have determined with your spouse, with your children, etc., or with the rest of us, hopefully, to gather together in this community. There has to be an agreement. There has to be a, a, an exercise in language, in one accord. Clearly we understand the stress 
and disruption caused by those who failed to fully appreciate the value of proper communication as it relates to community. This is talking about Ananias and Sapphira. They refuse to clearly appreciate the value of it. It could have destroyed God's work in that particular region in the same way that it did Capernaum. Oh, how the Lord desired to move mightily in Capernaum. Over and over again, Jesus Christ declared how I have desired to draw you in under my feathers, my, my, my wings as a hen does its chicks. You remember those passages? Jesus was longing to save souls. He even instructed his apostles, his disciples at the time, when they entered, he says, when you enter a particular area, if they receive you, then you stay with them. But if they reject you, you walk out of the city, you clean your hands, you clean your feet, and you keep on moving. Ephesians 4, 25, 26, and 29 and 31. Ephesians 4, 25 and 26. 29 through 21 through 31, read. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, talking about language, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. It says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only, only such as it's good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Verse 30, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. I, I highlighted that. It says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And, and it's important to make the note that that verse is not out of place in that verse. Because it's talking about unity. It's talking about talking well with one another. And so by inserting verse 30 in this text, it's saying that when we abuse one another with our words, when we abuse one another with our anger, with our attitudes, our feelings, and our emotions, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. That's what I meant by what could have happened in Acts chapter 5 had the Holy Spirit not stepped in to address the issue with Ananias and his wife. Verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Allow the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart. What happens when we engage in inappropriate talk against one another? That's a question. Quite obviously, we tear down the work of the Lord. We tear down the work of the Lord when we take advantage of one another, when we abuse one another. Which brings me to my, my last point. Compromise in the church marginalizes God. Compromise in the church marginalizes God. How many of you, when you take notes on a Sunday service like this or a Wednesday Bible study or perhaps in any other context, you're listening, perhaps even in school, you're listening to your professor, your teacher, etc., or your boss, and you're taking down notes, and then at some point, you remembered a minor detail, and you put it on the margin. 
And if you're like me, which you probably aren't because my writing is just horrible, I tend to put the most important stuff on the margins. And then when I go back to review or to transcribe onto a different paper, etc., I have to make sure, I have to remind myself to address the margin first. Because that's where the good stuff is. Now unfortunately, when, we, when, it, when it comes to this point in our churches, when God's people are not careful, as is the case more often than not, when we're not careful in terms of how we treat one another, remember, I started off by talking about the kingdom of God. God established His kingdom and we make up His kingdom. We are part of His kingdom. We are His children. And when we misbehave, when we, when we falsely accuse, when we mistreat one another, we marginalize God. Of course, there are millions of different ways that we can marginalize God, right? Like come in here and preach something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's like, Lord, we don't want you here. But that's a different sermon, uh, Pastor Lloyd. But when we misbehave, when we mistreat one another, we marginalize God. Because He is unable to fulfill His purposes in our lives as a community if we are not in sync or unified with one another. How many know that to be true? Let me see your hand. It, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Verse 4, look at verse 4 with me as it relates to this point. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Now I want you to think about and imagine for a moment how their actions, or rather, the attitude in their heart, the evil in their heart, serve to marginalize God in their life. And I want you to take it a step further and think about how they may have, well, not may have, that doesn't even apply, how they actually lost the proper sensitivity to the, to the Spirit of God in their lives. And sensitivity, of course, to the things that pertain to God. They contrived this evil in their heart, and they lost their sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. That's how I understand it. The Holy Spirit was no longer leading them. The Holy Spirit was no longer instructing them. It's not as if He didn't want to, but it's because they chose not to listen. And so when these things enter our hearts, we lose our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, and ultimately we lose the capacity within us to be led by the Holy Spirit. Now you gotta you gotta amplify that a couple hundred times because we're not talking about just one individual here. There are a lot of us, and there are more online, etc. And then take it out further a little bit more and think in terms of the the body of Christ at large around the world. That people are called to be united because there's only one faith, one spirit, one Lord, etc., etc. Their lie essentially served to push the Lord away from their affairs, to marginalize Him. And I can hear them saying, I got this, I'll do it my way. I know what the Bible says, but I don't want to continue doing things the way that I've always done. 
I'm going to do things my own way. That kind of talk, that kind of attitude marginalizes God, especially in the house of God, because that's the context of this message, unity in the faith. We have to be careful we do not marginalize God. We have to make sure that as a body of believers, God is the one sitting on His throne here in this location, in this church. That He's sitting on the throne of our hearts as individuals and as a corporate body of believers. And that somehow we give God the voice that He deserves, the space to speak as He desires to speak. Somehow we got to come to the point where we denounce some customs and some traditions that we've fabricated for ourselves. We do things certain ways because it's the way we've always done those things. But somehow we got to give God His place, give Him His voice and His authority so He can make a difference in His community. Amen, somebody. This church has to grow. It has to grow. Because if it doesn't, we can risk it all. Would we be here today had the Lord allowed Ananias and his wife to get away with their charade? Now, I don't know the answer to that question, but I do know that it was early in the establishment of the church, so obviously there was a significant reason why they had to die. The truth is our compromise will always marginalize the Lord. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We got issues, we got needs, we got wants, we have biases. We have our own perspective, we have our own way of doing things. But if we center our focus on Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ alone, and we all do that together, there's no telling what God can do in our lives. James chapter 4, almost up, three minutes. James chapter 4, verses 7, 8, and 10. It says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. It says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Verse 10, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. This point is about giving God His voice in the church. It's about surrendering our lives over to the care of God. Amen, somebody. And we have to determine whether, whether He leads and we follow, or whether we lead and we compromise His work. Let us make sure He is on the throne, on His throne as it relates to the affairs of this church. And I want to close with this statement. The unity of the church long ago resulted in incredible, incredible victories. And we can experience them as well. Now I want you to look to your text right away, really quickly, and I'm done. I want you to look at verses... Uh, Let's go with verse 14 once again. It says that more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. We're talking about unity. So that, even, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. That as Peter came by, at least his shadow 
might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. And they were all healed. God has always been looking to do wonderful things in our lives. And all we have to do is yield ourselves to Him. Find a way to honor Him first and foremost, and then honor one another. By way of summary, the kingdom of God is at hand, church. Let's cherish it. The kingdom of God is at hand. We must cherish it. We must appreciate it. And when we come together, let's make sure our fellowship counts. Let's make sure that our fellowship matters with one another. Because if it doesn't matter, we can never experience unity. And if we do not experience unity, we will always marginalize God. Let us learn how to speak the same language. A language that both honors God and promotes growth. And lastly, when we succeed in these areas, the Lord will truly manifest His glory in our lives and in this church. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for for your word this morning. And I trust, Lord God, that you are ministering to hearts here this morning. And certainly you have ministered to my heart by preparing the message and even delivering it now to your people. Father, we want to be unified. We want to understand your will and your purposes. We want to do the things that we are supposed to do. We want to grow. We want to develop. We want to move forward. We want to be sensitive to you. We want to be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Father, may you give us the grace that we need. Because the battle is difficult. Give us the grace that we need to move forward. That we may honor you and that we may please you. These things we pray. Giving you glory and honor. In the name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people say, Amen. And I want to ask you to stand and worship together during this last song. And then I have a um, just a, a little presentation in the end of some individuals who have been baptized as well as a uh, few individuals who have chosen to become members of the church.
seated, church. You may be seated. You may be seated. The volume, the volume will come up in a moment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Testing, testing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Little heart, little heart, little heart. Right there. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, that was good. I'm going to open it. Donnie, okay? Yeah. Are you messing with you over there, next one? Yeah. All right. All right. So, almost done, church. When I call your name, can you give the other dog? Can you have one? Okay, good. Can you come up? I want to read the names of Lord just a little bit. I want to read the names of um, a few individuals who have been baptized. Ed Cusina. Lovely wife, Kathy Cusina.
We receive them, Lord God. This church receives them, Lord God, with open arms. And this church today, in one accord, pledges to love on them and to take care of them. We thank you for their lives and we pray that you bless them with many, many, many years uh, as members in this church, uh, as supporters, and individuals committed to to enhancing what you are trying to do here in this location. We thank you so much for them. We bless them in the name that is above all names. And we give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. And all of God's people say, Amen. 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 Am